0: I'm Jessica Campbell and you're listening to Frequency.
1: Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Frequency.fm podcast. We're glad you're back with us, and I get the opportunity, the great opportunity, to hang out with Joe Brookhouse yet again. How are you doing, Joe?
2: Well, as you're well aware, I am pretty awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And if people really knew uh, where you are right now, that I can see that no one else can't because we're on video Skype, and there's boxes of (laughs) tupperware crap behind you on a shelf (laughs) i have no idea what's in there it looks like cable you're in your
2: garage Um, recording i i am in my garage and what's great is this is where i interviewed jessica campbell Hmm. and this is also where i interviewed matt michelatos and if you don't know who he is then uh, you, you will know um, in the, in the not-too-distant future, uh, as I recorded that uh, just last week, he's an author who just came out with a new book called The First Time We Saw Him. Mm, so cool. It was good good conversation, and that'll be a fun one to share. And plus, he's local to me. He's uh, in Vancouver, Washington, where I work. Uh-huh. And ironically, we recorded that one um, with me in my garage and him in his basement while the teenagers were upstairs yelling. It was great. And
1: you couldn't have like gone to a restaurant and stuck the recorder in between you?
2: Um, well, that would have worked. That was actually the initial plan. But I had forgotten that Sammy, who's the five-year-old, mm-hmm. was done with school for the year and had the week off. And Vanessa and I had to split the week, so I had forgotten until Monday that I had two days off that week, and they just happened to be on – one of those was the Thursday when I was going to interview Matt. Right. So – But he was very patient. He has a four-year-old as well. And uh, when Sammy would walk downstairs and go, hey, dad, hey, dad.
1: (laughs) This reminds me of something.
2: Yeah, what is that? So, yeah. (laughs) If
1: you don't know what we're talking about, you have to listen to a previous episode of the podcast.
2: We're not going to tell you which one. We're just going to make you hunt and peck through the 36 different items that are posted in our feed. It just
1: happens to be the one where I laugh insanely and cry for about half an hour.
2: Yeah. That was, that, and I've yeah. sadly I've listened to that three or four times since we've posted <laughs> it, and I laugh every time. Yes, I, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, eh, at least we can laugh at ourselves. <clears throat> By the way, that was the compliments of Gus episode. If right. uh, you're wondering which episode that is, and you haven't caught up, it's uh, I believe it's episode 18. There so you queue go. That up.
1: Awesome. Well, and in in other news, Joe, we are hearing from our listeners. You know how we we've longed for the day. To hear from someone, anyone out there, please,
2: please, we're so lonely. not not
1: that you know we we need affirmation. Although affirmation is great, it's just nice to hear from people. And not only that, we're actually getting reviews on iTunes from people, and for that we are very very thankful. It's great to hear from people, and we did hear from a lady named Hannah from Strasbourg, Saskatchewan.
2: And I don't I don't know where that is. I know that it's. In Canada, maybe south central Canada.
1: It's pretty much smack dab in the middle of Canada. Yeah. Is it? And
2: so here's what I know about Saskatchewan. Forgive me, Hannah, for interrupting. Our kudos to you, or our thanks to you for responding to us. I was at Expo '86, the World's Fair in 1986 in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and one of the uh, one of the um, what do you call those booths or whatever? yeah displays yeah one of the displays that I went to was for Saskatchewan, okay. and it was actually—I remember it because it was cool, mm. but that's all I know. Well,
1: and I'm from Canada, born and raised in Ontario, but now I'm in the East Coast, but I do know enough about it that it's flat there, that they probably have tornadoes, they have some interesting weather, but I believe that town is a very small town, so I'm we're very thankful that she's found us on iTunes And uh, she gave us a lot of cool information to review. And it's, it's nice to hear from people. And we don't expect it to be all good. And, uh, but we'd appreciate some good, uh, but it was just nice to hear from her good to get feedback. The only way we're going to get better with this is to actually hear from people. So we appreciate it. And, um, we do respond to every note or Twitter message or Facebook, um, response that we get. So thank you for contacting us.
2: Thank you, Hannah. We appreciate that. And even the, uh, the minor admonishment that was included within that, we, uh, we we learn, we grow. We take it to we heart. We become better. Exactly. We do. Yes. And I cried a little bit this morning, to be honest.
1: <laughs> but in all honesty, I mean, you know, you always look back at what you say and you do. I mean, I'm a pastor in a church, and I preach uh, semi-regularly. And um, there are times when I never want to hear the audio again. And there's other times when I oh, feel yeah. like I hit a home run. But that's just the reality. Sometimes you're on, sometimes you're not. and uh, Absolutely. You know, we're, the good thing about what we do is the whole podcast is essentially not about us. So thank you. Yes. We can all be thankful for that. Um, yes. And because of that, we're going to move on from us and uh, talk about who you interviewed recently, which is, they're a new author, Daniel Hill. Yeah. Did you want to give a brief bio on Daniel
2: Hill? Sure, and it'll have to be fairly brief. Oh, it was just interesting. Daniel Hill is a a pastor uh, at River City uh, Church in uh, the Humboldt Park neighborhood of Chicago. And prior to that, he was with Willow Creek Community Church, which is a, a pretty sizable church there in the Chicago area. And he wrote a book called 1010, that came out just a few weeks ago. And it's just kind of cool how he and I engaged. Uh, For those of you who follow our blog or follow our Twitter feed, there was a a post that he made in reference to his own blog where he was writing about his experience as a first-time author publishing a book and just what that feels like and how it can be uncomfortable and and I really connected with that and wanted to share it with folks. So we shared that in our feed, and that led to a series of interactions on Twitter between he and I. And after about, I don't know, 30 back and forths, it was like, hey, you should come on Frequency and talk about your experience. And he said, okay. So, you know, the a guy I didn't know at all. Yeah uh, really other than he was somebody that I had in my Twitter feed, which I guess tells you that I'll, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Mm-hmm. And I might even pay attention to what you post. So
1: <laughs> well, and I guess that's all part and parcel with it, right? Because the whole point of it is, I mean, he has to interact if he's, if he's going to sell his books, the only way to actually do that is to socialize it. But I mean, it's always good when you can have real conversations with people and not just try to randomly blitz information or pay for advertising or something.
2: Yeah, it was a great connection, and uh, we set up an interview uh, about a week later, and this is actually while you were in Jamaica. Right. So you didn't really know anything about this, which is why I did it. I figured, Dan can't stop me. Yes. I'm going to do this. Yeah,
1: so Joe, when I'm away, Joe just randomly talks to people on Twitter. Invites him on the podcast, and it's too late to say no after that.
2: Yes, but thankfully, my conversation with Daniel was a great (laughs) one. I've enjoyed reading his book, and I think you're going to enjoy a lot of what he has to say, not just about what's in his book, but as a first-time author, what that experience is like and what he's taken from it. Anyway, you're going to enjoy it.
1: And the good thing is, it is related to the Bible, and we like that. So the launch point for the book being 10.10 is a verse, John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So that's actually right on the on the cover's book. But it's not just about that. That's kind of a launching point, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you've probably seen me as I post on the Twitter feed for Frequency some of the quotes that I have culled from the book as I've been reading through it. And I've maybe only I've posted four or five. I could post 100 mm-hmm. because I get to a page. I read it on the treadmill when i'm at the gym and i find something and then i have to pause wipe off my sweaty hand (laughs) highlight because i'm reading it on a uh uh, on a tablet and then save it for later so there's more information than you needed and a lot a
1: lot a lot of people would say that's rather geeky wouldn't you say
2: (laughs) yes yes but um enough about my geekiness and the treadmill maybe maybe we listen to dan uh, our, our interview with daniel hill i don't know
1: it's probably a good idea considering i actually do most of our, our the music reviews that i do driving a tractor lawnmower on my property in the middle of the countryside we we are we are odd fellows and we do this at yes. opposite ends of the continent indeed yes, we are we are an interesting bunch but without further ado uh let's go right to our interview with daniel hill and joe brookhouse
2: Hey, this is Joe Brookhouse. Welcome to the Frequency interview on this uh, fine day in late May. We're chatting with author and Pastor Daniel Hill, and we're talking to him about his new book, 1010, Life to the Fullest. Uh, But we're also going to chat with him a bit about his experience as an author leading up to the book's release, which was just a couple of days ago on, I believe, May 20th. So welcome, uh, Daniel. Appreciate you joining us on the interview today.
0: Hey, it's good to be with you.
2: So I received your book. I have to admit that I just got it a couple of days ago. I was really intrigued uh, as we engaged online with some of your discussions about your journey leading up to the release of the book, but I did get the book. One of the things that obviously grabs you right at the beginning is you're, you're talking about um, the Emperor's New Clothes. That's really how the book starts. You grabbed me right away because that discussion of all of us seem to be kind of hiding something that we're uncomfortable with or that we're not necessarily ready to share with other Christians, which is uh, gaps in our own faith and confidence and journey. Does, is that a lot about what you're trying to accomplish with 1010?
0: Yeah, it is. It's. Um, I debated early on what I, I would love to do a companion book like this for somebody who's Seeking out faith, or trying to try and understand Jesus, or trying to understand what it means to really follow Him. But that's not what this book is. This one is actually designed for the person who has already given their life to Christ and is wanting to, attempting to, even usually live life fully. You know, in the sense that they're following Christ and surrender to Him. And um, my, my overwhelming experience is that, there, that we, we're, we've not always created an atmosphere where people can be honest about those gaps, about those shortcomings, about those questions, about those doubts that, that folks have. And so, um, yeah, that is a lot of it. I want to give permission for people to acknowledge that that doesn't make them unusual. It's actually quite common that even the most devoted, in fact, even historically, the, the, even the icons of our faith, <laughs> when you look through their journal pages, it's pretty common that there's periods throughout where they're trying to understand what it means to more fully live with Christ. And so, yeah, I, I, I try to right off the bat with a book, get permission to acknowledge that that's alright. And that, even more than that, to acknowledge that, uh, longing we feel for the promises of Christ to be fully alive in us, that um, that those those longings are not something we should avoid, but actually embrace. That's exactly what God wants to do. And,
2: and a lot of this, uh, you spend a lot of time talking about the book of Joshua, and the thing that always strikes me about Joshua is, is about being, being courageous. And I'm surprised at, at how <clears throat> often, not just in Joshua, but how often in the Bible that theme comes up over and over again. From your perspective, why is that kind of a, a key message in this book?
0: Yeah, one of the tricky questions I come back to often in the book is the question, what is the most frequently repeated command in the Bible? And people are often surprised that fear not is the answer to that. And, and so it's it, um, fear is not something that's kind of an isolated issue or something that, you know, a handful of people deal with. Um, I think it's pretty core to the spiritual life. And I think if we take a step back, it makes sense. I mean, if the very heart of following Jesus is that we relinquish control to the one who's going to lead us. Um, everything about that is fearful, right? I mean, uh, you don't exactly know where you're going next. You don't exactly know what Christ has for you. There's probably a high degree of chance that on a regular basis, Jesus will lead you to environments that stretch you beyond your own natural comfort level. And so um, I don't think fear and courage are reserved just for the... Superhero Christians, I think it's a pretty normal part of every day of life with Christ. And so, if, if, we're, if we don't have a well-developed idea of how to recognize fear in our lives, and then um, how to recognize the way fear and faith relate to each other, which I don't think faith ever removes fear, I think faith is just designed to become something that's strong enough inside of us that we can push through our fears. But when you watch the when you watch the way Jesus lived, the disciples, there never was a period where He was not bringing them into fear-inducing situations, right? It's almost like every time they get comfortable, you do it again, <laughs> fall asleep on a boat or walk in the water or take him through zealot land or whatever it would be, things that ca- cause them to rely on him in faith and move forward despite their fears. So I, I do see that as one of the pretty foundational elements of life in Christ.
2: And, and you have a great illustration of that in the book as you're talking about that, that trip that you guys, six other people, took in the Amazon. Uh-huh. That that story it gave me a huge smile because I'm thinking about you falling off a cliff and the guy smiling the whole time. Not that you did fall <laughs> off a cliff, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so you kind of draw a parallel between Christ as the uh, the pioneer. Yeah. And and this this guy taking you through the Amazon. Anyway, that's a great illustration. I just kind of throw that hint out to people that there's there's some great illustrations along those lines in 1010. The other thing that you that uh, you brought to mind for me as uh, you're talking about how uh, that faith will kind of help you uh, overcome some of that fear, lead you to places that you didn't ever expect to be, you use yourself as an example of that as you, I believe you started out your career at an Internet startup? Uh-huh,
0: yes. And then you
2: have this journey that, that brings you, And what's the name of your church, forgive me, is Willow Creek? Oh, that's,
0: yeah, no, it's fine. It's River Sea. Willow Creek is where I worked in my 20s. It's a large Mega church out in the suburbs of Chicago, and then now I pastor a church in the city of Chicago called River City Community Church.
2: So, so tell me about how did you get from that point of this internet startup all the way through to where you're at today, and and where did uh, how did God lead you along that?
0: Well, um, it's always hard to tell those long stories in a short way, right? But so, so the the, the quick version. I, I mean, I grew up around church. I was a pastor actually, and so I knew church well. Um, I thought I was more drawn to the business world, and so I worked full-time through college and took classes at night and then joined up with an internet startup company after college and then ended up doing my own thing for a while, and that's when I got involved at Willow Creek, and uh, they were very instrumental in um, helping me rejuvenate my faith and sense this call of God and in, in for me that ended up meaning shutting down this business venture I was doing. And then I'm, I was hesitant when I tell that story because I feel I feel like it gives into one of the common temptations. Like I, what I'm not saying by that is that the more noble thing to do is to leave the business world and go into the ministry world. It's just for me that was I, I was the reverse. I wasn't looking to get out. I was looking to stay in the business world. So for me that was a big fear thing to step away from what I knew and what I was good at. Um, but I don't think that's. I mean I think we need courageous people in every sector that are following Jesus. But then that path continued. I I, I grew there during my twenties, but got really laid deeply in my heart some of the kingdom issues like race and poverty and justice and you know some of these really hard, historic, challenging kind of endeavors that come with I think following Jesus. And so that's what ultimately led then to this plant, church plant, in a um, kind of an inner city neighborhood of Chicago. And so I, it, it was just again a reminder that. You know, the goal of Jesus in our lives is not to help us get to a point where we find ourselves feel comfortable and settled, but right. Jesus, to continue to keep a vibrant, like faith, where we're listening to Him, following Him, responding to Him, trusting Him that He's leading us to places that will not only impact the Kingdom on His behalf with, with Him, but also transforms us in the process.
2: Appreciate something you just said. Your bit of the caveat about the business world, uh-huh. because I my day job is, and people who listen to this already know that uh, I'm I'm a, a consultant. I'm a business consultant. Uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate to work for a company that supports frequency as a ministry. But I recognize, and my my company recognizes that if you focus all of the church as just at a church or working for the church, then you're really missing out on the opportunity to fulfill that great commission. Plus. It's good as an artist to keep your day job until you're
0: established. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I I think we do a disservice to what Jesus is doing if we if we compare professions. You know, it's it's it's. God, I I think Jesus is leading people to be fantastic what they do, fantastic witnesses in every sector. And so the bigger point is that there's sometimes certain things we move to more because it represents our own dreams or our own ambitions or our own agenda, and it may not be where Jesus is leading us. That's when it becomes problematic. But that that's so unique to each person's journey. You could never draw that with a broad with a broad brush, right? You have to. The point is that each one of us cultivates and listens for the the, the voice of Jesus within our own life and follows Him faithfully into whatever endeavor He sends He's calling us to.
2: Well, and there's it's not like there's a template that we go. Okay, well, this person walked yeah. this path, therefore I, I need... know
0: we want it, <laughs> but there's not. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. It, I want to go back even further because I keep hearing things that i want to comment on but i want to give you space to talk as you were talking about we're talking about just kind of the 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 emperor's new clothes piece there i I want to ask you about kind of a the the christian culture in america so forgive me this is not intended to be a a bomb or anything but it feels like there's a certain um, protectiveness that we have where we're afraid to let other people know that um that we don't have the utmost faith that that we have doubt is that something that you sense from your position that that we're we're not just cloistered
0: but we're also protective. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think it's for sure fair to say it's true the Christian culture. I, I think it's even. I mean, I just think it's a human thing. I mean, I think we. we're we're, we're fragile human beings, and we don't love admitting that about ourselves, but, you know, I think we all have this kind of existential sense that we're not in control of very much, right? And so we we hope that faith will be the thing that settles that for us, that once we Place our faith in Christ. That you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. And so, I think there's just kind of a fragile human nature thing that that longs for that. And so, I think sometimes what we do, we, we mistakenly talk about faith in Christ as something that permanently alleviates that. When I don't really think that was God's ever intent. I mean, we're, there's a lot of language, right, of being sojourners, foreigners, aliens here on Earth. You know, where we're kind of in between worlds. And so, the security comes from the fact that we're following Christ, but that doesn't that doesn't globally change that. more kind of gives us a day-to-day reality of, you know, I will will be with you always, I will never leave you. Those are his final words, everybody. And so I think that's where the security comes from, is knowing that he's with us and that he's got us and that he's leading us. Um, But that doesn't mean on a day-to-day basis we don't feel a little bit of anxiety around, what does that actually mean, where is he taking me, and what's the risk level associated with that? And those are all fair questions, because I think that's what comes with the life of faith. And that's where I think as a Christian culture we... We conspire with kind of human fragility anyway, and we, we try to—we we don't give enough space for those questions. And sometimes I think those get interpreted as lack of faith instead of, I would actually say, those are normal questions of faith. <laughs> that's what faith is, is we're following a big Jesus who he's in control and we're not. Then those kind of questions, to me, seem like they're just part of the course. probably doesn't seem to me like we have vibrant faith if we're not asking those.
2: I think that's why I appreciate Peter so much. In the Bible, is because here's a guy that wears his heart out on his sleeve, and yeah. steps in it all the time. But at the same time, yeah. he's protected and ca- not captured. Yeah. He's caught, right. you know. He's right. uh, throughout that. Right. And I think we could be more right. like right. Peter, Peter in that walk. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: I agree. <laughs>
2: something a second ago, and I'm going to transition a bit over to talk about this series of blog posts, which is how I engaged with you initially. I I saw that you were posting about this journey of getting this book out on the street, going through this promotional piece. And I I really appreciated you sharing that perspective. One of the things that you mentioned, I think there's three or four posts there, is you talk about an anti-marketing strategy. So (laughs) um, could you tell me what what an anti-marketing strategy is from your perspective and up to this point, has it worked?
0: (laughs) Well, I can answer the first one. The second one is (laughs) here. I have no idea if it's worked or is working. Only time will tell them that. Uh, um, For me, it's, it, it, it's really about an authenticity piece. You know, I, I feel like I've got a vantage point on this that's unique, just because of these spaces I've been in. You know, in my 20s, I worked at Willow Creek, which is a large, high-profile church, and so um, I, I, I wasn't even really thinking about things like platform back when I worked there. But there was just an unending opportunity for writing articles, or speaking at conferences, or um, even having opportunities for book deals, stuff like that. That I, I, I didn't even appreciate how. Unique that was, right? And and because of the machine, because it was coming, you know, kind of part of this larger, well, it's from Willow, so it must be important, kind of thing. It didn't even really, you know, nobody really even vetted me that much outside of there. I'm talking about, you know, it's just you. you were, Given this kind of level of authority, because you were in the right kind of environment, and wow, yes, yeah. you know, so but now here it is, 15 years later, I'm way wiser and way smarter than I was back then. Not mean that; I mean just the natural course of life, right? I
2: understand? So, yeah.
0: But because I'm not in that umbrella anymore, I'm not seen nearly as relevant by many circles, you know. And so it sheds a lot of light on the silliness of the whole thing, where we're really looking always for the right voices who have lived the right kind of a life. And you know, if you take a step back, it would make more sense that somebody who kind of went off the grid and you know, kind of lived in community with a lot of different kinds of cultures and people and learned from there that that would that would be presumably somebody who would have more to say than somebody who's only had an experience within a white mega church, you know, in a in a very kind of narrow slice. And so but that's just not the reality of how the platform world works, right? I mean it's it's we, we, we bestow authority based on things that Really, I mean, if we're honest, the the things we look at are very superficial. I mean, it's big, it's prestige, it's you know, it's it's all the kind of things that the world looks at. So, so there's a discomfort I feel like, I feel with that, you know, and that. Um, you know, just as as a whole, the kind of people, and I think, it's some degree, we're all complicit with a little bit. We all, you know, the machine wouldn't work if we weren't all complicit with it. So, I, I you know, that that that's turned into part of my even agenda is to help us all remember that we, we tend to look at the wrong things for measuring who has the who has enough authority to speak on some of these issues, and we tend to elevate people who maybe shouldn't be elevated just because. If you have a large you know, at it, the end of the day it's not always that hard to have a large ministry. It's um it doesn't mean that there's not depth, but just because it's large it doesn't mean that there is death either, right? So so that that's just like a constant discomfort I feel along the way. And so I've made a commitment to myself and those I'm in community with that I'm not gonna try to portray this image of a super pastor or celebrity pastor or or play the game that needs to be played, you know, in terms of presenting myself as something. You know, I'm going to remain, hopefully, authentic and and um, transparent about a lot of the struggles that come with this stuff. And I'm not going to try to throw numbers around and how many books with this or how big is this ministry, It's because I don't think that's where the authority, whatever I'm going to say, should be coming from. It should be from kind of the journey I've had with God and with other people and kind of the environments I've been in. So that that's kind of what I mean by it is, like, it's just an internal commitment to... I'm not going to go down that road of all those things, and I'd rather I'd rather the book not do well and be integrity to that than I would. To kind of feel like I'm always parading myself and self-promoting all the time. It just it just doesn't feel right to me.
2: It's a remarkable tension that I think is common to a lot of people, authors, musicians, it, really artists in general. That um, yeah, if you yeah. feel like you've if that you have created something of value and you yeah. and you feel like right. it should be shared. But then right. balancing right. between ego or the appearance right. of ego, and right. and then just wanting to get this thing out to share with the world, um, yeah, that, right. that's a huge challenge. And I know that you have right. felt that. Yeah. Do you find yourself right. just dealing with a with with that tension and kind of how are you engaging with people around you to help keep you from? Going off the deep end with some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is an ongoing tension. I, I definitely have more questions than I have answers at this point because I'm still I'm still earlier in it than later in it, and so I am probably will look back and say I should have done a little more of this, a little bit less of this. Um, but you know, one of the ways, in fact, I may have tipped too far. I just recently told our elder group. I said, you know, I'm realizing the book's about to come out, and I have barely talked about this with anybody at church <laughs> to the point where probably everybody in my church is like, "Wait, you got a book coming out?" You know, <laughs> so right. I, I've so clearly. No, I, I would I'd not want to say the church is look I think I'm some big deal now because I'm writing this book or you know I'm I, you know whatever I'm presenting myself as a street house celebrity pastor and so um I, so in some ways I, I probably have too much separated them so I've kind of come back to leadership and say um you know so I, this was a big deal and it represented a big journey for me so maybe we should talk a little bit more of kind of <laughs> how, yeah. how we reintegrate some of this stuff you know so I've almost gone like too far I mean that would, you know you talked about the anti-marketing campaign that's I, I may have even gone too far on it, because I, it, there comes a point on the other side where it's like, well, I am in community and this represents a big thing for me, so I should be you know, I should be a little bit more integrated in how I'm doing that. So I, I, in some ways, I feel like I'm trying to more reintegrate rather than slow anything down, because I, I've literally, I've just, I never talked about it at first. I don't, you know, I, I, I so don't want to make it seem like I'm making a big deal out of myself that I've probably gone a little bit the other way.
2: Well, you're effectively normalizing at this point. Yeah, right. Now, this is uh, effectively the first book that you've published outside of an E-book that you published about 10 years ago, this is really your first journey or foray into the publishing right. world. Right. And, and I think I read that it took you like 15 years to pull all this stuff together to to really feel like this is the time to, to bring this book yeah. out. Um, was there something yeah. specific that... Occurred that said this is now the right time. Well, how did that How that come to
0: pass? You know, it's a mix, and I think probably every artist probably gets this dynamic too. It's a mix of inner and outer stuff, right? So, um, you know, one of the one of the long journeys I've been on is, is so I've been preaching on David and Saul lately. So this this is fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, Saul Saul was so needy for kind of people's approval, right? Yeah. And and that's 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 what really drove him. And when he was getting approval, he on the extern on the outside he would. Look happy, but when David starts, First Samuel, I think it's 18. When the women start singing the song oh, that yeah. Saul's killed a thousand, but David killed two thousand, Saul completely comes undone. Right, and that's like the problem of an artist. I think is when if your validation is dependent on outside voices saying you matter, your work matters, you're just a train wreck waiting to happen, right? And um, David, I think, I think the gift that David had that he couldn't even ordain, it's just the way God did it, is David David's soul was formed in a in a, in a desert, in a field as a shepherd as a boy, right? It's a, his art was formed outside of the perspective of the critics, outside of the up-and-down <laughs> daily kind of being reminded whether or not his stuff matters right. or so not matters, and so I think something's solidified inside of his soul that the art he creates is for God, not for people, ultimately. And, of course, like you said, when you create something of value, you want to share it, you want people to benefit from it, but there really is kind of an internal piece where I think what we do has got to be for God and from God, right? It's That's kind of a source of everything we do, and we, we have to be way more the boy in the field than we are kind of the salt who's dependent on the outside praise, and so a lot of this project has is a reflection of kind of my inner journey more than you even the way I'm articulating this particular book being, you know, now is the time for it. So I need to avoid, of course, it's a great irony, right? It's like I'm finally at a place where I don't think I need that external validation anymore. So yeah. now I'm going to go write a book where everybody's going to interact with it, right? It's like there's always these ironies that are yeah. within it, but I need to get to a place where I wasn't doing this to get my name out, to become famous, to have some imaginary person say, you matter now because you did a book that sold X amount of copies, whatever, you know, it's like it has been a lot of therapy, a lot of community, a lot of self-reflection to get to the point where I could be more boy in the field than I am King Saul-like and and so that's a lot of why I feel not, I feel like I can do that now. And to me, the sign I can do it is I can do all this work and put it all in and it can flop and my anti marketing strategy, so to speak, could fail. And like, and I'm fine with all that. I really am. Like, There's just not too much of myself and that's not too much of my ego in this project and um, that, that's to me the sign that like okay took me until I was in my 40s where I really felt like I could create something with that, with that level of integrity but I think I'm finally there and, so, and if it does well it's not going to swell me up and go oh wow I'm really something now because people are like I am who I am now and I wrote out of that and it may do well it may not and so to me that soul piece that inner world piece is just as important if not more important than the actual art that's being produced
2: so um, really that creation your art from a place of purity a place where you're like okay I'm um, I'm creating with the right motivation in mind
0: yeah and I like that I, I do like the term integrity for it for me because you know integrity kind of gets that same word of wholeness right and so uh, integrous and so integrated and so it, to me it's like inner outer being you know whole and so yeah the a piece is a lot of the internal right it's why are we doing it what is the purpose where is it coming from like I think those are all things that inform artists and uh, you know I, and so I, I've always got this image of David in the field <laughs> like I want I want to be singing songs to God and right. sheep, right and like wherever else it goes Goes right, so um, so that feels integrated. I mean, it feels whole. It feels integrative, and so yeah. So I want to do great art. I want to do stuff that really impacts people, but that's not even I'm not even sure it's my primary motivation anymore. I want to be a person who's this, and then right from there, and hopefully it helps people. But yeah, that 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 order for me makes a huge difference. When-
2: Now, realizing you're still, obviously, because the book just came out, you're still right in the mix with all of this. Do you have thoughts about where you go from here, regardless of the success of the book? Are you, are, do you have thoughts about writing more, and uh, are, are, are you already working on the next
0: piece? Uh, not, not in a real formal way. I've got three or four ideas I'm playing with. Um, one of the, you know, this is just a very personal thing. I, I don't know that it applies to anybody else's journey, but what, one of the, I was even all sure all the reasons why God had called me to leave Willow and to start this church that was very much off the grid in terms of people knowing about it. But one of my mentors said a few years ago, she said, "You know, I'm not sure you're ever going to have a big church just because the, the stuff you guys are doing is not what draws mega crowds." Right? I mean, it's a pretty intense call, you know. To address just a lot of the power and privilege dynamics in society who really laid down lives for each other and um she said but she said that the kind of community you live in it's just so clear the way that it's shaping your understanding of god and theology and arts and everything and she said i just i just think that god is going to continue to bless the broader community through what you're learning as you sit under this community and um, that, that really, like, I really felt like I heard God in that, and so, um, so, so, my plan is to write forever. I think now, and I have no idea to what degree that will, uh, you know. I, I, in a minimum, I mean, it's, these things are always great inside our own community. When I write this stuff out, it creates kind of the opportunity for us to interact more clearly with things, and so I'm fine if it's even just in a smaller circle. But yeah, I think without question now. I mean, I'm not viewing this as any kind of vocational thing. This is just an expression of who I am. That as I learn. Kind of community I'm in, and you know, I've got the tremendous gift of having a really diverse body of folks who are speaking into all my thoughts and ideas. And so, I think by the time that they get wrestled through, they're just so much better than when they had originally started. And so, yeah, I, I feel like at <laughs> the I feel like it'd be irresponsible for me to not do my best to continue to articulate those things along the way. And um, you know, whoever it helps, it helps. But I almost need to do that now just to. To, to fulfill the college or that has
2: put place on me and I have I talked to a lot of a lot of artists and authors who basically well, are compelled to keep writing whether they have yeah. an outlet for that specifically it's I woke up this needs to get on a piece of paper otherwise I can't function right, today right right,
0: I totally get that
2: well let me ask you just a couple more quick questions because I've, I've had you tied up here for about a half hour um so I'm just, in general, you as a consumer of art, re- whether you're reading, watching movies, listening to music, what's, what's really resonating for you as a consumer?
0: I'm I'm a lover of preaching and teaching, so I I listen to a lot of sermons. I know that's not everybody's favorite medium, but for me, that is art. You put together a beautiful, moving sermon is art, and so I listen to between five and ten sermons yeah. a week, just kind of in between everything I'm doing, and so that, that allows me to kind of listen to a chorus of different men and women who I think are just great Bible teachers. Um, I'm pretty deep in in kind of what I'm specifically doing. I'm pretty deep in the realm of racial reconciliation and social justice, and those are arenas where um, kind of growing up in a white middle class environment, you know, I was kind of late to the game on those. So a lot of my reading I do is around that. So it's, it's sometimes it's pretty gritty. My, my wife often jokes; um, she's actually a reader of all the classics. So she jokes that if we're both sitting around at night, she's probably going to be reading something from Charles Dickens, and I'm probably going to be reading something about children in poverty. Right, right. <laughs> that's kind of a picture of us right now. But um, that is just honestly a lot of where my my appetites lie is trying to kind of understand this this system coming through the eyes of Jesus. So so it's a combination of those things is where I, where I spend a lot of my time reading and listening. Do you
2: give yourself a break ever?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean I think uh yeah, I think it's a recipe for burnout. So I'm I'm pretty serious about always taking Sabbaths and uh I try to be very I've got two little kids so I try to be very present in the times I'm with the little kids. So um yeah, I'm I'm uh yeah, it's 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 I don't in any way feel like I'm putting myself in any kind of an overexposed position. I try to take it seriously when I'm in those modes, and then I try to, try to enjoy when I'm not.
2: Just in terms of how people will connect with you once they've uh, heard this interview, it seems like you're pretty active on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle?
0: It's at uh, Daniel Hill. 1336.
2: Is there any particular meaning behind 1336, or is it just the next available?
0: Yeah, I should have got a better Twitter name back in the day. I never, I never paid attention to that stuff back then. But yeah, that's uh, for a long time, I, what, you know, my, one of my handful of life verses is Acts 1336, just the simplicity of the recap of David's life, that uh, he served God's purposes for a generation, and then he went home. And so I always use that kind of little tagline for myself, I want to be as effective as I can for the time I'm here, and then and go home happy. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, that's where the thirteen thirty-six
2: comes from. So that's a Twitter at Daniel Hill thirteen thirty-six. All right, we'll make, we'll make sure we link to folks uh, over to your blog because you're you're writing some good thoughtful thoughtful pieces there, and uh, you're pretty active on Twitter and uh, you're you're responsive, which is how you and I connected. So
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I always get back to people.
2: Well, I, I appreciate your time today. It's been great talking to you. I appreciate what you're doing, awesome. and I will be finishing your book.
0: Thanks. That means a lot. It's a, uh, I appreciate it. It's like those are always affirming signs from God when, like, somebody doesn't even know, like, you kind of finds me and affirms it. So, thank you. That means a lot to me.
2: Uh, happy to do so. You're you're doing good stuff, man.
0: Thanks. I really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, get back to your journey, there, man. I hope the book does well.
0: Thanks, as good. To talk to you. God bless you too. Thank you. Bye.
2: All right, welcome back. That was our interview with author and pastor Daniel Hill. I think you probably enjoyed that. I'm guessing you did. I enjoyed chatting with him. And
1: no, thanks for doing the interview. It's great, um, in all seriousness, to come back from Jamaica and to know that not only do we have good content, but we, we're we making further relationships and connections with authors, uh, writing meaningful stuff, because ultimately what we're doing here is, is about trying to share good quality information, perspectives on faith, and um, people that are are doing their art and doing it well and do it from a faith perspective. And we're all yes. going to benefit from it. So, uh, no, it was great. I appreciate it, Joe.
2: Yeah, and and, and I know I, did, I didn't get too much into it in the interview, but it, he spends a lot of time in the book talking about uh, faith and fear and that relationship. And as I think about artists... I think one of the things that gets in our way is our own security and our own fear that prevents us from stepping out. I know as a songwriter, there's a lot of stuff that I never shared because I was afraid of what that feedback might look like. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was definitely convicted as I was reading the book as an artist. And I think uh, as, as an audience, this is a book you should consider picking up and and consuming if for no other reason than just his the way he discusses fear and how that uh, impacts us and how faith can pull us out of that
1: right actually uh as as you're talking i was thinking at some point we should take some of these these authors and have like a tweet up session where they can answer questions related to their books and and they can actually share together i'm just thinking off the top of my head something like that would be a good thing to do through uh, our twitter feed once in a while
2: well, maybe I can connect with uh, Daniel again and see if that'd be something he would be up mm-hmm. for.
1: Well, thanks again, Joe. And it was a great uh, episode. And uh, we have some, some more coming up that are in the queue, some great uh, interviews. And not to mention, uh, we have full episodes of our podcast, but we also have uh, reviews from time to time and uh, we actually have some new contributors that are helping us there's a number of them yes. that are, are starting to contribute uh, on our behalf and um, you will start to see their bios show up on our page um, so you'll know who they are and um, we appreciate them so much they're taking time to to uh, review things and and share it concisely so that we can share it with you so uh, look forward to more reviews and uh, interviews and um, audio reviews for those who are commuters and can't spend a lot of time on their computer.
2: Yes, especially when you're driving, it's not a good idea yes. to to work your computer while you drive.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: So as we're uh, as we're wrapping up, a reminder that we'd love to uh, to have you uh, leave a review for us on iTunes. It helps people find us. Mm -hmm. We do think we're producing some good stuff here and we like it to be discovered by other folks. Hannah gave us some great feedback and we appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So we will be finding some swag and sending it her direction. Maybe my five-year-old will draw on a white t-shirt. We'll see how that works. (laughs) There you go. Yeah.
1: All right, Joe, thanks for another great podcast and we'll catch you next time.
2: Until next time. Thanks guys.
1: Frequency.fm is a podcast featuring Christian artists, authors, creatives, and experts. For more music reviews, book reviews, and articles, please visit us at Frequency.fm.